You're listening to the Up In Your Business Podcast, episode 035. On this show, we talk about developing company culture, releasing your inner greatness, and the core issues to leadership and influence. This world needs more people who are confident in who they are, what they stand for, and what their role is within whatever context that is. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson, and if this is your very first time visiting, I'm ecstatic to have you join us. I must apologize if you hear a couple of squeaky little voices behind me. Um, I have a ton of family over visiting this weekend, and it is such a chore to try and sneak away to record this. So you may hear some some uh, little children's voices in the background. So let that be a bit of transparency for you. I'm just trying to keep it real. So here's a couple of questions I have for you as we jump into our content today. Have you ever had a situation when you thought you couldn't get out of it? Or have you ever felt like a challenge might just be too big for you? Well, today, we're talking to a woman that at the age of 16 became a teen mother and from there went on to become a Fortune 500 coach. She relentlessly failed forward to push through her challenges and to discover the life of her own dreams. Now, she's a public relations expert, she's a certified business coach, and she works with high performers to impact internal communication, employee engagement, and leadership. She has come very far. In fact, she's also the founder of Moxie Internal Relations and the Leadership Success Academy. Today, we're talking to Amber Hurdle, and I want to jump into that interview right now. Hi, Amber. How is it that you answer a customer service call by telling them right from the beginning, you need to know I'm not a morning person. Well, um, I am not a morning person. Anybody who knows me knows that I don't form complete sentences until 10 a.m. And that is after I hit the gym so I don't hit you. And I happen to have to make a customer service call early this morning because of a website issue. And he was not hearing the words that I was sharing with him. Rather, he was looking at his screen, identifying the information that he had. And so I just stopped the conversation and let him in on my little secret so that um, hopefully he could slow down a little bit and understand that I could get real cranky real quick if he did not start listening to me. So uh, Great. It, it reminds yeah. me of the, um, what was it, uh, Chris, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, with Jackie Chan, do not hear understand the words coming out from my mouth. <laughs> Chris Rock. 
Is it? No, it wasn't Chris no, no, Rock. No, no, it's, it's not Chris Rock. It's the other Chris. We'll have to look him up as the we, other Chris. We will. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so for those of you that are listening, Amber is a teen mom turned into a certified coach and business consultant and professional speaker. She's the founder of Bombshell Business Bootcamp, owner of Moxie Internal Relations, and she is helping women in business rock empowerment and business mastery. Is there anything I missed in all of that? Um, I do work with uh, Fortune 500s on company culture, employee engagement, basically communication and, and engagement strategies. Are there any balls in the air you're not juggling? Um, no, not at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm having a glass of champagne um, as I do this podcast in the afternoon. It's not evening yet. Oh. It's not five o'clock somewhere, but it's close. <laughs> I, it's always five o'clock somewhere. So I have a, I want to kind of just start off with that whole premise there about leadership. I read somewhere that you believe that leadership is a calling and it's, uh, you also believe that work shouldn't simply be work. Uh, it should be an expression of your greatness. I would love for you to dive deeper into both your concepts of leadership as well as what does it mean to express your greatness? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I would never be the person to wear those cute shirts that um, that say I'm unemployable. I mean, I think it's hysterical. And if you are that person, then good for you. But I also think that leadership is a calling. So whether that's in the entrepreneurial sphere or in a corporate setting, you were given the ability to influence all the people who are um, under your umbrella, all of your subordinates, peers, um, people who you might report up to. And so when you're in a leadership role, you have an extraordinary amount of influence. And that influence then has a rippling effect in the communities of the people whom you serve. So if somebody has a very, very strong leader and they are not only mentored and taught but they have the opportunity to see because their leaders are so strong in articulating this where their daily effort in, in that position fits into the big picture of the company mission, where they align with the company values and how they help propel the brand promise forward. That person's going to go home a lot more fulfilled. Um, they will bring that company culture home and that will be instilled in their families in their communities, when they're out in their communities. And so one individual leader can have an amazing impact for generations to come in the lives of the people, especially who report up to them. So that's my take on leadership. Um, I do think that your work is an expression of your greatness because we're all designed with special gifts. Um, one of the, one of my favorite, you can call it a quote. It is a, it is a Bible verse, but um, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if, if you don't believe in God or a God, then just fill in the blank with the universe or whatever makes you feel comfortable. But every human being on this planet has something special about them. And that gift is something that can be shared with the world. And that's how we're all interconnected. And so if you can discover what that is in yourself, and then obviously the majority of our time is, is spent in our vocations, what better place to express that greatness than through your work where you can actually share your gift, solve somebody's problem, and in exchange, get paid and compensated for sharing that gift and solving a problem. I love that. Um, and I want to kind of unpack it a little bit 
from how do you define what actual leadership is? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think that leadership is necessarily something that you are told that you are. Leadership is when you step into a role of influence. So, for example, I have supported several senior leaders throughout my career. Um, They did not report to me, (laughs) and I never had VP on my business card. And yet, while they were leading me, I was leading them because of my influence over them. So it is a decision that you have to make for yourself if you are going to step into a leadership role. It's not necessarily something that you are, quote, promoted to. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think the con- context of that um, is a term called managing up. And yes. sometimes, <laughs> you know, you can have influence and still be servant minded, still be respectful, still be honorable of someone who might be a manager over you. Mm-hmm. However, be able to use influence to help either move the team or be able to respond back to a manager to give them, you know, um, real-time feedback or coaching of how the team is doing or how you're doing or how they could be better. And when you do it from a place of humility and service, um, service, yeah, I think incredibly powerful things can happen. So I agree with you. And I I love that word influence because I think that's, that's probably one facet of leadership. But if you look at say today's political climate, uh, we can see Mm -hmm. people who are in charge, (laughs) but maybe not leaders. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and not to be political, um, but there's, there's something, I don't even, maybe it's on discovery channel, but it's called like the eighties or something. It's I'm a total nerd. Um, and so I don't watch like whatever anybody's listening watches. I watch history and ridiculous things. And so it's all about the eighties. And so, um, I'm, I'm super fascinated. I have a PR degree with political campaigns just simply from how do you unpack their campaign strategy and the decisions that they made and how one moment really impact, you know, could, could impact a, a huge change in our political climate. And so one day they were talking about Ronald Reagan and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you liked his policy. I don't know. I mean, if you don't like Reaganomics, whatever. But no one can deny that he was an extraordinary leader. And it's because he knew how to influence. He knew how to influence the American people. And he knew exactly what to say to rally people or to make people feel safe or better. And quite honestly, that is lacking in our country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to kind of go even deeper than that, because there's some people who want to be leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Like from small children, we want to be, you know, the captain of the, the kickball team all the way up to the captain of the football team or the cheerleading squad, or like there's this quest to be seen or quest to rise above. So yeah, there's people who want to have a role, but just because you have that role doesn't mean you can actually lead. So maybe you and I can kind of step back and, and build out that greatness. What does it look like for someone who maybe looks in the mirror and doesn't necessarily see or recognize greatness in them, or maybe even questions themselves? Like, I mean, as deep as even having elements of self-hate or, you know, uh, rejection issues or um, maybe even Mm self-sabotage, where does one start to put the pieces together? 
Angus, you know, <laughs> I say that I am a business coach who smuggles in life coaching because so many people obviously come to me for their strategic planning or their um, brand identity and things like that. But we do have to go back and fix what mommy said. And we do have to go back and fix um, how they felt when they were the last ones to get picked, um, you know, on the dodgeball team or, or whatever, those things all, um, come with you and, and they, they stay with you through life. And so you have to, first of all, shut out all of the noise. You have to get very clear with yourself on what your passions are. First of all, um, where you really feel alive when you're operating in that gift. Um, obviously if you're a spiritual person, there could be meditation or prayer uh, around that. But really the easiest thing that I encourage people to do is follow their breadcrumbs. And by that, I mean, I want you to go back all the way through childhood and think about the distinct role that you play in, in various areas of your life. So if you were, um, you know, in the neighborhood kids, what role did you play when you were in Boy Scouts or T-ball what role did you play? What what made you different than everybody else? And then you can just go through your entire career. And I'll find women who maybe were admins or accountants or something that is so different than who they want to become. But what I find out is, oh, you were the person that always planned the company picnic. You were always the person who ensured everybody got a thank you card. Um, you're the person who volunteered at church for XYZ mega event of the, you know, whatever that is, you can see from their breadcrumbs that they were consistently bringing people together or they were celebratory or they had a gift of hospitality. And it really had nothing to do with what their J-O-B was that actually they got paid for. And, and it helps narrow and define who they are at their core. And once you can get to that and, and then you go through your values, you know, what are your highest values? Let's narrow those down to the top five. Then you can start to get a picture of how you were inherently designed and not how mom told you you should be or how you're trying to live up to big brother or whatever that looks like. It's, it's just you without influence from outside forces. I think that also kind of steps into the balance between nurture and nature, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So for you, you had some breadcrumbs and <laughs> you went through life and then probably, what, 17, 18 years old, um, you get pregnant. 16, brother. Come oh on, give me credit goodness. here. So 16, old. you're just, yeah. you were in a rush to get this <laughs> game started. So A, what kind of... Um, issues did you address in that moment? And then B, what was available or what did you seek to help you in that moment? Oh, um, so I'm, I'm pretty logical. And for whatever reason, I am truly at my best in a crisis. So when I found out that I was pregnant, I immediately just, I mean, it wasn't about, oh, I'm going to miss prom or, you know, what about college? Like I knew I was going to figure all that out. It was just, I'm a mother now. It is what it is. And so now what? So I just fast forwarded to what would I, what would I be doing if I was 24 years old and having a baby? And so that's the direction that I went. Now there's 
so many stories of all the wrong turns I made in the process. But if you just want to stay at 16 years old, um, you know, I immediately found a, a healthcare provider. Um, my mom, the night that I told her, um, although she was disappointed in my decision, she was very supportive of the fact that, um, you know, we had new life in our family and I was her daughter and she adored me and, you know, she was never going to stop loving me. And of course we had to wake up my dad and tell him because of course <laughs> I waited until my dad went to sleep to have this conversation. Right. And, uh, you know, the only thing he asked me was about my education and I told him I was staying in school, of course. And they both just stood behind me. So my mom went and got me um, prenatal vitamins and a package of onesies that night and brought them back to me. And we just kind of took it from there. So, um, you know, in terms of immediately what was the mind shift, that's, it's like, okay, this is, this is where here is now. What's the roadmap? Yeah. And then once let's, you know, flash forward nine months, now you have child, now you have school, now you have homework. Yeah. What about the other aspects, especially as a teenager, a teenager being, you know, social and engaging, how did things change for not only the parts of your responsibility, but also how do you had to kind of address or recalibrate your own mind in addressing how you interacted with your peers? Um, I just really didn't. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Um, you know, shout out to now Join Pine, um, Joy Insfelder, and then um, at the time, Corey Malone. They stayed in touch with me. Um, they came to see Brittany. Um, you know, they're both extraordinary mothers and women now. Um, it's still keep in touch with them. And, and there were a few other people that were in my life then that maybe aren't now, um, that I can't, you know, just bring to the top of my mind. But, um, so I had her in July and school started, you know, early, late August, you know, somewhere around there. And I just remember going into school the first day and you know how, like when you, there's a movie and somebody walks into a room and the whole room spins around them and there's all these voices and different sounds and, you know, it's just kind of like an out of body experience. Yeah. That's how it was. I mean, I walked in hoping that like, you know, my nursing pad was on right and did I pump enough and mm -hmm. <laughs> were there enough diapers in the diaper bag and I'm having all of these mom thoughts and then all I heard, you know, surrounding me just swirling around my head was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you, oh my gosh, you look so good and like prom and, you know, uh, and I was just like, what are these people even talking about? This is not my highest priority. And again, at that time, my values were just different than what my peers were. Their, theirs were spot on for where they needed to be. But I just couldn't care less about the things that they were worried about. I wanted to get my, uh, my education done and get into college and move on about my life as a mother. So um, thank the Lord for the Wilson County Adult High School because it, uh, it, is, it is a high school geared for adults who dropped out of college, or excuse me, dropped out of high school um, but you get your same high school diploma as if you attended your normal four-year school. So it's exactly the same document. It's not a GED. Right, right. Um, so I heard about it, and one of my peers um, had a mom who, who worked there as well. So I went up there and um, talked to Pat Sutterth 
um, probably one of the women who absolutely um, helped just shape that part of my life and found out that I could go to school there for hours, like in exchange for the hours that I was there, as opposed to having to go to school for an entire year just to be in school because that's what you're supposed to do. Like I could actually attend school, turn in assignments, and then they'd check away at the hours required to get my diploma. So I did that. Um, she taught me how to take the ACT, which is very different than studying and trying to, you know, take it with knowledge because I suck at math. I hate science. <laughs> I'm a communicator through and through. I love history. Um, and so you can imagine, you know, me trying to go to school and get to get scholarships. And she taught me how to take that. So I was going to school, you know, much shorter days so I could get home and be a mom. Uh, I think Fridays were half days. And if I needed to make up time, then there was evening class. And so I graduated early um, and I was um, valedictorian of my adult high school class. Thank you very much. And um, and I got a full ride to the university that I wanted to go to. So um, long story short, again, it's just like, what's the end goal? What do I want? What are my highest values? Now, what do I need to do in order to get there? And the solution for that was just not doing the high school thing in, in a traditional way. Right. And for you, um, you know, obviously, I mean, without question, you had to grow up very fast in that. Mm. Um, <laughs> so do you feel on any level that you like missed out on it? Oh, or no. have you found opportunity now as an adult to make up for it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, hello. <laughs> we we were at LaSalle together a couple nights ago. Right. I I roll I roll very well now. Um, you know, I even then I wasn't like, oh, poor me, I can't go to prom. I mean, I just that stuff never really mattered to me. And I think also because, and part of the reasons probably why I made some of the decisions that I did is I was slightly traumatized from moving from Orange County, California to Lebanon. Lebanon. It's like, you know, just a few syllables, not Lebanon as it yeah. should be pronounced. Um, Lebanon, Tennessee, like we had a brown Walmart and like one Hardee's. I mean, that's, that was what <laughs> Lebanon was when I moved here. Like my, my neighbors had cows and I was an OC girl used to go into the beach and everything being open 24 um, seven. So when I moved here, I just wasn't really connected anyway. Um, granted, I live in Lebanon now. My business is in Lebanon. I love this town. I love living here. But at the time, it was not really my jam. So um, it didn't, no, it didn't hurt my feelings. It was just, um, it was a massive change. Would I say it was the most ideal circumstance? Absolutely not. Was it hard as hell? Yes. I mean, it was, there were some really dark, really, 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 really dark days. Um, and so I don't want to sugarcoat it. However, um, my life is abundant now. And because of those dark days, because of the quickness to really jumpstart my life, I'm able to help people at such a different capacity now and with such um, grace and just a lack of judgment because there is not a soul on this earth I can judge knowing the stupidity mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I did. You know, yeah. I mean, we I learned a little bit of your background. Um, grace is so much easier to extend when grace has been bestowed upon you. Yeah. And there's something about pain and brokenness. 
Oh, yes. That they teach you and train you in the ways of humanity that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say, you know, to people, if you're listening and you are in a dark place, if you have found yourself in a hole and you think you can't get out, you have to know first and foremost that you are not alone. No. And it's in that darkness that that's where we feel isolated and it becomes counterintuitive because the last thing we want to do is let anybody know. The last thing we want to do is share our pain, our addiction, or, you know, the thing that we've gotten ourselves into. And yet it's the most liberating, most powerful, and most life transformative when you finally come out to own your junk. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and, and I had some junk. Um, thank God for my parents. I mean, I understand not everybody has um, humble and loving parents that that will love you through your stupid um, yeah. I'm fortunate to have that. I, and again, there's so many people out there who just are bounded by their parents. Or their parents just are hard people or they don't understand or they don't want to understand. But there is a human out there that will listen to you. There is somebody out there that, who will hold your hand and pull you out. And honestly, you don't even need that person because there are times because I'm supposed to be the strong person. Like that's my that's my job right in this life. <laughs> and right. So that's how everybody looks at me. And there were times where, um, you know, I just had to honestly, and and I'm saying this as someone who just about denied God at at a certain point, but there were times where, you know, God was just kind of like, hey, there ain't a human in this world that's going to get you out of this mess, so you better start talking to me, hmm. and, and had those moments. And so, again, if that's not your jam, um, it, it could just be like the God inside of you or, you know, whatever you want to look at that. But there, everybody has a spiritual side, and sometimes you have to find how to honor yourself, and then you can start digging yourself out of that dark spot. So let's go into that as we combine this level of conversation with where we started with leadership. Um, and the aspect of, you know, business and being an entrepreneur, because when you start talking about brokenness and you talk mm -hmm. about fear, you talk about the darkness, like these are not cool topics in no, a business not. world, they're right? So real. <laughs> like we do not talk about that stuff. So, you know, how do you crack the nut, um, in conversations with people, you know, and break through the shells a, and then B, um, where is the point of empowerment of getting people to kind of take the reins to be back in control of their lives? And I'm speaking specifically because I know you speak to women and I know that that's a huge topic. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of shame, a lot of guilt that we tend to carry around with us, um, uh, I always say, whether I'm with entrepreneurs or in corporate, that everybody comes to work every single day um, with a wagon of experiences that they're that they're pulling behind themselves and a bucket of expectations um, that typically have that bucket gets full because of the wagon of of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so typical things that that I find are um, women who feel shame because. Uh, they think that maybe they were too promiscuous in their in their younger years or in between marriages or, you know, something like that. Um, I have women who 
still hear their mother or their father in their head. And they were told, you know, continuously that you're not good enough or you're not special or you need to lose weight or I wish you were more like your sibling. Um, And these are really powerful messages that get into the core of who they are and how they see themselves. And so, um, you know, we have really, and, and I am not a therapist and anybody who is ICF certified, by the way, has no business dealing in in therapy. But what I can do is help help a person identify who they are and who they want to become. And so once we start to say the things aloud that are the lies that we're saying in our head, then we can start to realize how ridiculous they sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is my next blog post as um, as a matter of fact. So um, they when I have them say out loud their internal beliefs, then, then I can have them start saying out loud their accomplishments, like who they are in their family, how their children see them, how their spouses see them, how their friends see them, how their friends at the country club see them, how the people that they volunteer with see them. Then we start talking about their professional accomplishments about, um, you know, just all the different rippling impact that they've had on their immediate world. And then we compare that to the lies that they're telling themselves in the, in their head and when they see the overwhelming truth, then they can start really rewriting their story and and identifying how they see themselves without all those other noisy voices in their head. Um, and sometimes they're, you know, even their current relationships too. I mean, I was coaching somebody on um, launching a product and we were talking about webinars and then I could just tell she was distracted and she had had um, some stern words with her, with her husband. And we spent the entire coaching session on how she needed to get right with her husband and apologize to him and not demean him and not, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like this was heavy on her heart. She's an amazing woman, a loving woman, and she loves her husband, but there was a disconnect there and until that was mended, no way in the world was she ever going to be able to focus on her business because she has this big noise, this big tornado in her head. Mm-hmm. Now, does that happen every time? No. Sometimes I get on the phone, we talk about business, we get done. But a lot of women also um, will say something like, I'm really great at what I do, like say they're a hairdresser. And then they ended up you know, going out on their own. And now they have this hair salon, but they're insecure about their business abilities. So um, they'll say, I'm really good at what I do, but I'm not a businesswoman. And I'm like, do you own a business? Yes. Are you a woman? Yes. Are you profitable? Yes. Then you're a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What I'm hearing you say is perhaps you didn't establish a company culture. Perhaps you didn't lay some really foundational processes. Maybe you feel insecure about some of the new technology that's used in business these days but that doesn't make you a bad business person. So, I mean, I could go, we could sit here for a week talking about all the insecurities that women bring into their professional lives, both again, entrepreneurs and and in um, corporate leadership. But the the end of the, the story always comes back to what is the truth? What is there evidence of? And when we can find the evidence to support the truth, that's, that's what we're going to go with, but we're not going to just go with the voices in your head because they've been there for a long time. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Brene Brown has oh, a, yeah. a context where she says, uh, "These are the what are the stories that you're telling yourself?" And my wife have, and I have brought that even into our own marriage. Um, when there's misunderstandings, 
you know, or our own fears or insecurities. And then, you know, we give each other the opportunity. So what's the story you're telling yourself right now? (laughs) And it's amazingly like revealing of your heart yeah. because you start saying stuff. And in the middle of your story, you're like, oh my gosh, this is coming from a really wounded place and has nothing to do with you or Or PMS, either one. (laughs) I don't know what I have, but yeah, I've got some kind of PMS, male PMS. There you go. So how in the world did you come through your stuff and now be able to speak with the authority that you do? What did you learn? How did you learn it? And what resources can you share with those who are listening? Um, so one thing that I've always been great at, um, and, and I can't take credit for it because I I don't think I really learned it anywhere or intentionally did it. It was just inherent and natural. Um, I always sought out mentors from a very, very young age, whether it was a favorite teacher or, I mean, I can go back to the fourth grade and tell you who in my life was the person that was my go-to person. And so when I realized that it was just me and my daughter, and um, I mean, I didn't have a pot to piss in. I was so broke. <laughs> right, I right. All the time. I mean, all the time. Um, there was a season, I always tell this no matter what, because I, I just want people to understand if, if you were broken and if you were running hard, um, there were two nights out of every single week that I did not even go to sleep. Like I would get home, take a shower take my daughter to preschool. I took her to an educational preschool because she was smart and I wasn't going to have anything less for her. And then I would just go to my next job. Um, That's why I love sleep so much now, even though it doesn't love me back. But, uh, you know, there was, there was no time to go back to college. There was no time for any type of professional development. So I had to depend on people who knew things about things that I needed to be better at who could help me in my current position, um, who could teach me something about managing my money or whatever it was. And so I continuously evolved and grew in my positions until I got to a spot where I was making enough money with one job where all the other jobs could go away. So I just kind of chipped, chipped away a little bit at a time. Um, and then, um, I was so fortunate to, at this point I, I had, gotten married and, um, not to my current husband, but I'd gotten married and, uh, started working, um, at a place called sports village fitness center. It's an upscale, really nice, um, fitness center owned at the time by my number one mentor of life, Johnny Keel and Peggy Keel. It's really Peggy's, but, um, Johnny was her husband and, <laughs> So they were, they were there and, you know, we, we put the fun and dysfunctional family nice. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, any small business, you know, certainly can relate to that, but Peggy's big thing was personal development. And so she would do the disc assessment and I was 20, like 21. Um, so she did the disc assessment and she would insist that we go to conferences, which I was thrilled about. Um, and we'd go to these conferences and then I'd hear a speaker and I'd come out and I'd just, you know, like a kid and a candy store, like, Oh my gosh. And this is what I learned. And I think Peggy saw that in me. And, you know, then she would buy me the book from the person who spoke spoke. And I just, I read every personal development book that I could get my hands on in my early twenties. And then, um, I realized how 
um, you know, I've got a friend who's a therapist, a really good dear friend. And she hates when I say this. she's like, you are not broken, but I knew how broken I was inside. Right. And, um, and I needed to figure out how to process those things so that they weren't that baggage that I carried around in my, my wagon of experiences, but they were things that I could then move forward with and, and learn from and use to help other people or whatever, you know, use as a platform to step on and get to the next part of life. And so, um, I started going to counseling and I saw my therapist for seven freaking years and it was the greatest experience. Mm -hmm. I think the entire universe should go to therapy and then we would all be able to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I'd be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. But, and and that's that the stigma is, and I, I've said this before, I, I wrote it in my book that, you know, you think that anybody who goes to a counselor or a therapist is, is crazy, right? Like only crazy people go. Yeah. And what we don't realize is most of us are pretty addicted to our own crazy and that's what yeah. keeps us from going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and I would go and um, I've you know shout out to Dr. Palmer. He definitely gets a a, a huge mention in my book. But um, I would go and say, "See, Dr. Palmer, I told you I'm crazy," and he would say, "Amber, you are not crazy. Now let's talk about this." Right. Right. <laughs> so just even that reinforcement. But you know, with the stigma and everything, I would I would be so. It's Thursday. I'm going to therapy and everybody like Amber are you seriously saying that out loud I'm like yes it's the best day ever I can't wait to go um, and I learned so much um, about self-forgiveness about expectations about um, relationships about communication I mean Dr. Palmer is the person who told me who basically gave me permission to go back to college because I did have to leave obviously I had to raise my child and it was just way too much. So I left and while everybody else was saying, this isn't the right time. And are you sure you want to take this on right now? Dr. Palmer asked me, what do you really want? And I said, I want to go back to college. And why do you really want that? You know, he did the big why thing with me that we all do as coaches now. And, um, and I explained it all to him and he's like, then why aren't you going? And I swear the next day I started the process. And because of him, I can't even describe what came out of me returning as an adult student to Middle Tennessee State University. I've served on two boards there. I'm still connected to my favorite um, PR professor. Um, I She's at Murray State now, and I'm the PSS, um, PRSSA advisor, professional advisor. I mean, she's opened so many doors. I'm in her book. Um, you know, there's just the cascading effect of just saying, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable and screw what anybody else thinks like I'm going to do what's right for me that's leadership that right. is leadership is is knowing your own truth and standing by that and standing by your own integrity and your own values and I think that's a great way to connect us back around the circle is you know there's an element to leadership that really comes down to knowing your stuff mm -hmm. and being comfortable in that you know there's this element of self-awareness um, I'm diving deep into that whole topic in May with a particular interview I'm doing with a particular influencer. Uh, but we're going to dive deep with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Wow. And um, he talks about uh, self-awareness, but it's the how to become yeah. self-aware that most of us don't connect to. And that's the part we're going to uncover. Um, and so I want to give you kind of um, an opportunity to share where that plays into leadership and how you build up people to be phenomenal uh, miracle workers, I believe is one of the things you call it. 
Well, so if you don't know yourself inside and out, then how can you possibly understand the people around you? If you aren't self-aware, then how can you be aware of the nuances and the motivators and um, what discourages the people that you're leading um, or, you know, managing up or, you know, peers or, or whatever? Um, I'm probably hyper self-aware just because I've been in this world for so long. Um, and sometimes you can get in your own head with that as well. Um, so I don't encourage that. Um, but really being, it just all goes back to knowing your truth. Um, and it, yes, it's good to know your gifts and yes, it's good to know, um, you know, what your greatest gift to the world is and, and what your calling is and all of that good stuff. But when it all comes down to, um, you know, the brass tacks, it's about knowing who you are and what you stand for and what you will and will not accept. And I'm the biggest don't give a fill in a, the bleep um, what other people think about me. And this is coming from a person with PR with a PR degree. So while I'm aware of what my brand is, while I'm aware of what I'm putting off and the energy and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm so clear on who I am and what I stand for. And if somebody doesn't jive with that, whatever, you are one person and there are billions of people in this world and I'll find somebody else who likes me. Like I just don't even care. And I think if more people could get to that point, they would live an abundant and free life and they, they could stand up for what they believe. They could with integrity, uh, lead people in a direction without the fear of what's so-and-so going to say, or what is that going to look like? Or, you know, who's going to get butt hurt when I do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think we would have, you know, and you can do it in a, in a diplomatic way. You can do it in a genteel way. I'm not saying go out there and be a jerk about everything. I'm just saying that when you stand in your truth, then either you don't get your way and then you have to be, you know, kind about it and be a gracious loser or you can enact change and there, there just needs to be more people out there leading, whether it's, you know, in your community as a business leader, or if you're in a corporate situation, this world needs more people who are confident in who they are, what they stand for and what their role is within whatever context that is. Can mm -hmm. I get an amen? Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't even rehearse that, people. <laughs> that, that there's something to that, you know, and 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 I'm going to echo what you said. You know, when someone doesn't get you or someone doesn't understand you, um, I don't necessarily think it's the perspective like you know, like oh well, you're dead to me. You yeah. know, that's not the approach as much as it is just being cool and confident in yourself. And I love to say this that when you finally establish who you are and you know your nature you know who you are, you become self-aware, you suddenly connect to this element that you have nothing to gain, nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. But in addition, you have nothing to lose because you come from a place of generosity. Mm -hmm. And when you, st when you operate in life from the opposite of lack, that's where you enter into fear. That's where you enter into control. That's where you enter into manipulation and insecurity. Because the opposite. You like you. What's that? Because you want everybody to like you. Precisely. You want to fit in. And that you goes know. back to what we were saying. When somebody looks in the mirror, when they, you know, get up in the morning, like 
do you like what you see? Do you love what you see? Because what you do when you follow the line of that continuum, if you don't start with a love for self, you then classify or validate or invalidate yourself from the love of those closest to you. Then you invalidate yourself from those next in line, you know, the people that you interact, your, yeah. your employers or your coaches or have the ball team or whatever. And then if you follow the line of that continuum is if I don't like me, the far end of that spectrum, does God even like me? Right. Does the universe even like me? Does anyone even like me? And that line of that continuum starts with, do I love me? And if you can't start there, then you've lost already. You know, and that's the word that I was going to use next, because if we have not gone, you know, woo woo enough on this, but, um, and I say that jokingly, but this is, this is the reality. Like everything revolves around love and I'm sitting here, you know, having these conversations and just speaking confidently and because I do know myself and I like myself and all those good things. Um, but there are days where I have to tell myself because I didn't like how I behaved or I don't like this about me, or I don't like that. I didn't meet this goal or whatever that looks like for that bad day that I'm having. Like I always have to come back to, I was made in God's image. There is nothing broken about me. There's a lot broken about this world. And I might respond to those things in, in, um, not the most positive ways, but at the end of the day, I'm made in God's image. And so if God thinks I'm great, then who am I to question the creator of the universe, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you have to go back there. And there are times, um, you know, I could just think of a meeting that I went into. I'm a chair of this committee and I went in, I didn't tell them my experience. I didn't tell them anything really about me except for some very simple things because I did not want to, um, overtake the authority. I wanted it to be a very collaborative experience. So as you can tell, I'm a very direct communicator. Um, I am very confident, but there's times where you also have to understand, okay, this is who I am. This is how God designed me to be. And so I might need to just taper off a little bit in this particular situation. Um, in the same, uh, I can be very intimidating to men because they're not accustomed to women just not giving a, you know what, I mean, <laughs> they're, yeah. you know, most women are trying to fit in or trying to get somebody to like them or they're trying to play a role. Um, and I don't. And so I can, um, whether I'm abrasive or just being me, um, men can sometimes, if they're not super powerful, and here's the difference, very powerful men love me, very confident men love me. But if there is a man who is a little, um, unsure about me or put off by me, I can tell, immediately that he has insecurities because he doesn't know how to stack up against a woman who is as strong or not stronger than him. And so there's always a dance in life just because you know yourself doesn't mean that you go out there and, you know, just chest bump everybody and get them out of your way. Part of knowing yourself too is adapting and being the chameleon that you need to be in order to make other people feel good about who they are as well. So if you love you exude that so other people can can do the same thing. Absolutely. I always say that the power of communication is not saying something in the way that you want them to hear it, but rather saying things in the way that the other people's need to, that other people need to hear it. How, how to receive it. Yeah. yeah. 
that's a basic PR principle right there. Did you know that? Well, you smarty hey, pants. You know, well, what can I say? <laughs> I got a little marketing background and some jobs, but I got no PR. So, you know, I want to kind of bring us in for a landing, and I just want to thank you um, as a, uh, a teen mom to five, you know, a Fortune 500 coach and, uh, and businesswoman. Um, I love your story. I love your heart. I love your passion, and I love your strength. Thank if people you. want to get a hold of you, Amber, how do they go about doing that? Very hard. AmberHurdle.com. And if you're driving, you can't write that down. It's like Amber Waves of Grain and Hurdle Like You Jump Over.com. And you can find all of my programs. You, there's a free um, PDF to help you understand what your greatest gift is um, as a business. And then, of course, all of my social profiles. And as you know, this morning um, from my tweets, <laughs> I'm very, very social and always respond on social media. Unless it's before 10 a.m. Unless it's like, yeah. No, actually, I get on there pretty darn early, but just don't bug me while I'm at the gym. We'll be good. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you, Amber. Appreciate you. Thank you. I'm so thankful for Amber's insights today. I hope that you found this conversation super relevant in your own life. And um, yeah, that this conversation was deeply insightful and even empowering for you. If you've enjoyed this show, I would love if you uh, went and shared it with your friends or colleagues and posted up on social media. Your help in getting the word out about the show is much appreciated. And if you get a chance, if you haven't done so already, please visit iTunes and place a rate and review. You can give it four or five stars, whatever it is that you want to, and then uh, place a review, letting others know about the great time you had listening to the show. I'd also like to invite you to join our Facebook group. Uh, you can simply type up in your business into your Facebook search bar and request entrance. I'll make sure you get in there. And I also want to uh, hear from you. Maybe you want to tell me something about the show or you just have some questions or other influencers perhaps you want to hear from. Please send me an email to hello at AngusNelson.com. I'd really love to hear from you. And finally, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you take time to invest in yourself and spend your precious time with this great community. I'm extremely grateful for you. I, I just want you to know that. I know there's lots that you can be doing, lots you can listen to, and just know I'm, I, I, I thank you. I really do. So may you live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. This has been Angus Nelson, building you to do business better. Uh, be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com.